welcome to the Lighthouse Community Podcast. Thank you for joining us today. We hope today's teaching will encourage you in your faith and help you develop an increasing desire to walk with God. Let's listen in. Well, good morning and welcome to Lighthouse. I was going to say Merry Christmas after seeing outside this morning. Yeah, all those that brave the cold. Uh, it's just wonderful to have you all here this morning. It's remarkable really, to see what God is doing here at Lighthouse, but also I was down at Bluffton last week, what God's doing down there. It's just remarkable to be part of that. Uh, you may not know this, but uh, just last week, just among Lighthouse family members, there were six people who crossed the line of faith from spiritual darkness to spiritual light. Yeah, they said yes to Jesus for the first time. Yeah, it was really a remarkable Sunday last week. Um, I think we're going to look back at these days across the kind of the family of churches. And I think what we'll remember is that we were part of God doing some very special things among us. I think that'll be a, a thing we look back forward or backward toward with, uh, with fondness. Now, two weeks ago, we began our journey through Isaiah chapter 6. Uh, Fritz has led us through the first seven verses of Isaiah chapter 6. And we're going to continue on. Uh, We're going to camp out at verse 8 for a minute and then uh, move down through the rest of the passage this morning. Now, I want to do a little bit of a summary of some of the high points of what he talked about over the last couple weeks as the starting point today. Isaiah saw what appears to be in the scriptures a vision of God in his glory. The Bible says it this way, My eyes have seen the king the Lord Almighty. Isaiah saw God. The seraphim were there. These are the mighty angels, the fiery ones, as they're described, that are attending to God. He saw the the, the building, the temple, shake and fill with smoke as they spoke. God had shown himself to Isaiah. Now, I would call this an act of mercy, maybe even an act of grace on the part of God, to display himself, to reveal himself to us. As Isaiah is taking this vision in, he's in the presence of God, and the first thing that crosses his mind is his sinfulness. The contrast between himself and Almighty God, and immediately he recognizes how far away he is from God. But you know that, uh, that fear of seeing his sinfulness before God It didn't turn to kind of a cowering or fright. Instead, it turned to confession. He confessed his sins before God, and he was met with forgiveness. He was met with forgiveness, not fear or damnation, but forgiveness. Um, He had seen Almighty God in his holiness, and he found salvation. And and the way the Bible describes it is this. His guilt was taken away, and his sin was atoned for. That's what happened to Isaiah. Uh, In this split second, this fear of seeing God in his holiness was replaced by forgiveness and lack of guilt. It was all gone. I don't think we can overshoot when we explain and talk about the, the impact that this vision had in the life of Isaiah. Isaiah saw God. Now imagine what was going on in his heart. Can you imagine being Isaiah in that moment and seeing God 
what kinds of things do you think you would be thinking about? Isaiah received from God things that only God can give. He received forgiveness from sin, freedom from guilt. He knew it in his heart. There was no second guessing. He knew that God had seen his sin, and yet, as he confessed and he found salvation, um, he found freedom. He found forgiveness. He found acceptance by God. That's the God who's described in the Bible that we study, the God who accepts us. The name Isaiah means Yahweh is salvation, and that's what Isaiah had experienced. The Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 11, thinking back uh, about the prophecy Isaiah, says this in the book of Romans, Oh, how great are God's riches and wisdom and his knowledge. How impossible is it for us to understand his decisions and his ways. The mystery of God, the God who saves. This vision and Isaiah's experience uh, leads me to a question. And the question is this, I'd like to just throw it out to think about. What do you think it would be like if you saw what Isaiah saw? Full clarity on the, the majesty of God, clarity of your own sin, recognition that, that God sees everything. You can't escape his gaze. He sees it all. And yet, when, we, when he confessed his sin, he found forgiveness. He found hope and acceptance. It's to know that in your heart, that there's, there's no more second-guessing. There's no more you know, wondering whether you stand in, in front of God in forgiveness or not. No, no more of any of that. But this, this acceptance and this, this freedom from fear, all of that is wrapped up in salvation. And I suspect I know the answer to that question. What if that happened to you? Well, I think the answer is it would change everything. Yeah, it would change everything. You would find peace with God, and that changes everything. This morning, we want to build on what Pastor Fritz has talked about, what I just uh, summarized from the first seven verses by moving into chapter 8, or, or verse 8, and then through the rest of the chapter as we kind of work that, through that together. Uh, we'll talk about three things. First, uh, Isaiah's uh, response to seeing God. Secondly, Isaiah's message to the people of Israel. And then finally, we'll look at a place in the New Testament where Isaiah 6 is quoted for, their, for us to read, kind of bringing it to our own front door through the New Testament. Uh, but I'd like to pray together before we start. Let's pray together. God, we pray that you would give us the gift of a moment of stillness and silence, that we would see you as you are, that we'd be still. And we pray that you'd give us the gift of open eyes, open ears, open hearts, that we would know you, that we would see you in clarity. 
We're grateful that you've revealed yourself to us in the pages of the Bible, that we don't have to seek an experience, but that we can see you in clarity in your word. So before you today, we just ask, Holy Spirit, open our eyes, open our hearts and minds. We want to see Jesus this morning. I pray this through Christ. Amen. <clears throat> so we're going to read at verse, I'll start at verse 8. This is the first verse right after Isaiah saw this vision of God, and this is what it says. Then I heard the Lord asking, now this is the first time that God speaks in this, in this uh, chapter. Whom should I send as a messenger for this people? Who will go for us? It's a statement of the triune God. It's in the plural. And then Isaiah speaks. He says, I said, here am I. Send me. Isaiah's immediate response to seeing God and receiving salvation and forgiveness of sin is this. Here am I. Send me. I want to make two observations about his response to seeing God. First of all, his response was immediate, and then his response was life-changing. So let's talk about the immediate part first. It seems that his response in Isaiah 6 is an instinctive response to seeing God. He saw his sinfulness, he experienced forgiveness as he confessed his sins, and when the opportunity comes to him to be a spokesman for God, he immediately steps up. Here I am, he says, send me. It reminds me of the first disciples uh, that we read in the Gospels. Jesus is walking by the north shore of the Sea of Galilee, and Andrew and Peter are throwing their nets into the water because they were fishermen, right? And as Jesus walks up, he says to them, um, I'm going to make you fishers of men. Follow me. And immediately, uh, they follow they left their nets, and they followed Jesus. Now, Peter is not just a flash in the pan. It wasn't like a quick belief and then uh, forget about that later. But instead, uh, he followed Jesus for his life. You can follow his life through the Gospels and into the book of Acts. And I love uh, Acts chapter 2, where after Pentecost, Jesus or Peter is preaching to the people, and he's talking about who Jesus is. And he's talking about what Jesus has done. And the result of that teaching is, re is remarkable. Thousands of people come to faith, and they're baptized, and they start to meet together, and it provides the framework for the New Testament church. It all happened right there at the teaching of Peter uh, as the Holy Spirit was leading him. He responded immediately to hearing Jesus, and his life was changed for a lifetime after knowing God. Isaiah's response was immediate, but it was also life-changing. I don't know what Isaiah was doing before he became the prophet Isaiah, before this vision when he saw God. But I do know this, that once he saw God and he heard the invitation to go, uh, he met that question with those words, here I am, send me. He became a prophet of God for the rest of his life. It's interesting as you, you read the life of these characters in the Bible that there's no sense of duty or obligation there. They're not acting out of guilt. 
This is very, very far from religious obligation. That's not what's going on here. Instead, what's going on is people who are leading, leaning fully into their understanding of who God is. They've seen God, and it changed everything for them. They couldn't, they couldn't unsee the things that they had seen. It's kind of like Isaiah forgot about himself in the light of God. Something changed. When God asks, who will go for us? He's looking for volunteers. And you know, there's not really a lot of information given at that point about what that message might look like. But Isaiah stepped into it without consideration of the consequences. It's interesting that he doesn't ask about God's strategic plan. He doesn't ask about the salary program and whether the benefits are good. In fact, there's no evidence here that he even speaks with Mrs. Isaiah. I assume there was one of those. It's just, here I am. Send me. He had seen God. He had experienced salvation. And standing before God, he wants to do whatever God is calling him to do. It's reckless. It's reckless. It's pure. It's a complete change of direction. It reminds me of the Apostle Paul in the New Testament. You remember Paul before he was a Christian. He was the leading persecutor against the church, right? He was trying to destroy the work of Jesus. He was there when Stephen was stoned to death for his faith. Paul is doing everything he can to push back against truth until the moment he sees Jesus on the Damascus Road. And everything changes in an instant. He had seen God. The Holy Spirit is in him now, and he's baptized, and immediately he's preaching the gospel that previously he'd been trying to destroy. He was saying things like this, Jesus is indeed the Son of God. But you know, this story isn't just about an immediate change. Again, it's, a, it's about a lifelong change in the person of Paul. He would spend his entire life uh, going on missionary journeys and spreading the gospel and starting churches and writing letters back to those churches, uh, empowering leaders to lead in the kingdom, all of those things. He spent his life, just like Isaiah, the stories are so similar. Near the end of his life, Paul writes back to the Ephesian elders, one of the churches that had been started there. And this is what he says to the leaders of that church. My life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work assigned to me by the Lord Jesus, the work of telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. Isaiah's response was both immediate but it was life-changing and is carried forward. We see the same thing in the New Testament. But now I want to talk about the message. We've talked about his response, but now I want to talk about the message of Isaiah that he brings to the people. So verse 8, here am I, send me, is followed by verse 9. Let's start reading there. And God said, yes, go, and say this to the people. Listen carefully, but don't understand. Watch closely, but learn nothing. Kind of sounds like high school kids. (laughs) Harden the hearts of these people. Plug their ears. Shut their eyes. That way they won't see with their eyes, nor hear with their ears, nor understand with their hearts, and turn to me for healing. 
I don't know how you read those verses, but I look at that and say, that is not what I would expect. I would expect a message of the love and grace of God, but instead, Isaiah is being told that you're going to preach a message to these people in Israel, and they are going to shut you down cold. They're not going to hear anything you have to say. Instead of starting a revival, you're going to start a, uh, a group of people against God. Exactly the opposite of what I would expect. Now, Isaiah recognizes what's happening, okay? And in the moment, he asks God a question. He says, how long is this going to go on, God? Verse 11. And God replies, until their towns are empty, their houses are deserted, and the whole country is a wasteland until the Lord has sent everyone away and the entire land of Israel lies deserted. And even if a tenth, a remnant survive, it will be invaded again and burned. If I were Isaiah, I would be asking God, are you sure <laughs> this is what you want me to spend my life doing? Spreading a message to the people of Israel that they're not going to hear. In fact, if, even if there's a remnant, you're going to keep going. In fact, uh, God has said he's going to go on and on and on until everything is burned down and this thing's destroyed. That's the message that Isaiah is called upon to teach. A message of hope that's going to be rejected. But in the middle of verse 13, you can't miss the word but. Okay, because whenever you see the word but in Scripture, there's a turning point, and God's going to say something that's extremely important for us to hear. And this is what he says at the end of that verse. But as a terebinth or oak tree leaves a stump when it is cut down, so Israel's stump will be a holy seed. Now, I want to unpack that just a little bit to understand what's going on in this prophecy of Isaiah. Isaiah's all in, right? He's like, here am I, send me. He's experienced the salvation of God. He knows now that the message he's going to teach is going to be rejected by the people. He knows that even if a remnant believes, it's not going to stop the movement of God against Israel. It's going to go on and on until there's total devastation. What's going on in Israel um, is going to continue because of the sovereign God has spoken. And I think about being Isaiah in that moment, hearing all of that and wondering what he signed up for. He wants to talk about the salvation of God, but his message is going to turn people away. Let's think about this from the perspective of, of a bigger picture. Before you think God is mean and that God is keeping people from understanding truth, I think we do have to stop and recognize that even God's patience runs thin. His patience doesn't last forever. You see this in Romans chapter 1 where, where God becomes angry towards sinful, wicked people who suppress the truth in their unrighteousness. People who know the truth about God and yet they refuse to acknowledge him as God. It actually says that God will abandon them to do whatever shameful things their hearts desire as their minds become dark and they become confused. Yeah, the patience of God with people who turn their back on him eventually wears thin. And that's a message we see in both the Old Testament and the New Testament. And here in this passage, what we learn is that Israel has turned their back on God to the point that they no longer can hear or see 
or respond to God. They're no longer following God. In the New Testament, uh, Peter himself talks in, in his second letter about the patience of God. And he says that God is patient. He's waiting for people to respond, to repent, and turn to him. But that that patience always comes to an end. I look back at the first five chapters of Isaiah for context to try to understand this message of Isaiah and the response of the people. And in the first five chapters, you learn this about the people. They're seeking their security from other nations instead of relying on God. They're oblivious to God's care for them. They're uh, worshiping idols, false gods, instead of worshiping God. And in fact, even their worship and their sacrifice is disingenuous. And then at the end of chapter 5, verses 12 and 13, uh, he exposes the heart of God, what God thinks of these people from Israel who are, are pretending and actually walking their own way. He says this, they never think about the Lord or what he's doing. They don't know me. That's the thing that's crushing the heart of God. These people aren't seeking God. They're going their own way. And eventually, this message that he is uh, proclaiming to them, it just hardens their hearts further as they go on their own way. It's depressing when you think about that. It's depressing. A message that's going to be preached, a message of hope that will have no positive effect. But you have to go back to the middle of verse 13. You have to go back because you see the hope that's embedded in that message. This, this nation of Israel that's going to be like a tree, a large tree that's cut down, where there's still a seed in that trunk, in that, in that stump, there's still hope. And you don't have to go very far before you recognize what that hope is. In Isaiah chapter 9, beginning at the very beginning, you see that hope rolled out as Isaiah's prophecy moves forward. And this is what he says. Nevertheless, the time of darkness and despair will not go on forever. The land of Zebulun and Naphtali will be humbled, but there will be a time in the future when Galilee of the Gentiles, which lies between the, the Jordan and the sea, will be filled with glory. The people who walked in darkness will see a great light. For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. We see that the darkness and rejection of Israel actually paves the way for the gospel to be spread across the world. I'd like to move forward now to uh, where a place in, I, in uh, the New Testament where Isaiah 6 is uh, quoted. We've talked about Isaiah's response to God. We've talked about Isaiah's message to the people. Now we want to look at uh, Isaiah chapter 6 where it's quoted in the New Testament. And whenever the New Testament quotes uh, the Old Testament, it's an opportunity for us to understand a little more fully what God has said. And in Matthew chapter 13, Jesus shares a familiar parable, the parable of the farmer scattering seeds. Many of you have probably heard that parable before. There's different kinds of soil where those seeds fall. We are the ones, Christians are the ones who are scattering those seeds. 
The message about the kingdom of God sometimes uh, falls on soil where people don't understand. It's the soil that lands on the footpath. Sometimes the soil lands uh, in such a way that the people hear quickly, it's shallow soil, but persecution comes for people believing, and they fall away. Sometimes the worries of life and the lure of wealth makes it hard for people to hear the gospel. But sometimes people hear the truth of the gospel. Sometimes they hear and they respond and it's fruitful soil. In the context of this whole farmer scattering seeds, Jesus actually talks about the fact that some people are permitted to understand the gospel and some aren't. That's why he teaches in parables. And I've talked to lots of people over time about their faith. And one thing I know is you can't look in the person's face, a person's face and know whether or not they're going to believe. You can't tell when you're talking to them. We take the message just like Isaiah did to folks, and sometimes they hear and sometimes they don't. Jesus says that this fact, the fact that some people will believe and some people won't, actually fulfills the prophecy of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 6. The question of who's going to believe and who's not going to believe, well, that's actually God's business. You know, Christians share the gospel. We pray for people who are lost, but it's God who works in the heart of a person to bring them to faith. But I want you to recognize another truth from uh, Matthew chapter 13 in the words of Jesus himself, because there's great hope in what he's about to say. Listen to these words from verse 12 of chapter 13 in Matthew. To those who listen to my teaching, more understanding will be given. They will have an abundance of knowledge. But for those not listening, even what little understanding they have will be taken away. What Jesus is saying here is that those who seek me will find me. And then those that don't, they're just going to continue in darkness. There's great hope in that. When we share the gospel and people are genuinely interested in seeking God, there is great hope in the words of Jesus. But regardless of the outcome, which we can't predict, Christians partner with God to spread the message about Christ. A partnership with God. I want to wrap up today by getting super practical, and telling you a story that illustrates what we've been studying from the scripture here, almost point by point. About 10 years ago, through an interesting circumstance, I found myself on a missions trip in Haiti, and uh, we were there to do evangelism, and I, I found myself in the back of a work truck, you know, a flatbed work truck, sitting on the floor with a bunch of people, going up the side of a mountain to a, uh, a village where people live up on the mountain. Um, you know, I don't know if you've ever uh, been in the mountains of Haiti, but you can see for miles. You can see it's a crystal clear day. You could see it every direction, including straight down to the bottom of the mountain. There are no guardrails, and you know they're drive- in Haiti. They don't drive like they drive here. You know they use the whole road. You know, and I remember going around a left turn, a blind turn, passing somebody. And I felt very, well, I felt very close to Jesus in that moment. 
we got to the top of this mountain and they broke us into groups and we were sharing the gospel with the Haitian people through translation. People would gather around. I'm like 6'4", and I'm white, and I don't look like them. And, uh, you know, you show up in a Haitian village in the mountains, um, and people want to come and listen to this guy to see what he has to say. Um, On the way down, I had written out in longhand as many verses as I could think of that share the gospel through the scriptures. And I wanted to share those verses. And I was speaking truth. I was speaking scriptures and talking to people about salvation in Christ. And there was almost no interest that day. We talked to person after person after person, and they had no interest in the gospel. They wanted the free gospel radio, you know, where they could hear the scriptures online. Nobody wanted to talk about um, how Jesus could forgive their sin and come into their life. And I remember going back to the compound that evening, thinking, man, this was a very, very strange day. I had anticipated people would be interested in the gospel. And I remember praying um, to God, saying, God, why did you bring me to Haiti if there's no interest in the gospel here? Why would you have done that? And I I remember at the moment, I thought, wow, that was a really, really arrogant thing to pray, you know? And at the same time, kind of flooding my mind was like, you know what? What God does in the heart of people is, is his business. You know, we share truth. We we try to use words that can explain the gospel in a way that folks will understand the truth of hope in Jesus. But you know, salvation's an act of God. We're messengers. We, we share truth. We um, explain the gospel, but it's God who works in the heart of people and changes people. You know, the Apostle Paul knew that. At the end of Acts chapter 28, he's reflecting on Jews and Gentiles, some people who are believing and some people who are not. And he references Isaiah 6. He says, yeah, the prophet was right. Some people will hear and some people won't. That's the business of God. That evening, as we were kind of talking at the compound with all the other groups, I found out that all the other groups were sharing the gospel and scores of people were believing. Yeah, so these others are, are, are sharing the gospel. And, and so the next day we go out and, and we met two teenage girls together um, and we're sharing the gospel. And these, these folks were very interested in listening. And I remember the one girl, her, they all pick an Americanized name. She went by the name Lovely. And uh, she was very interested in everything I had to say. And as we share the gospel, she wanted to confess her sins and make Jesus her Lord. That's what I expected to see when I went to Haiti. She was standing with a friend, and her friend kind of started stepping back to the fringe of the group. And so I went right over to the friend. I said, don't you want to confess your sins and come to God also? Don't you want to make Jesus your Lord? And she told me, no, I don't think our household idols and our household spirits would want me to make Jesus my Lord. She grew up in a house where they believed in voodoo. And she had made a choice in that moment against believing in Jesus. That experience led me to lots of different trips into to, uh, Colombia and Cuba. And, and um, I've watched lots and lots of people cross the line of faith from spiritual darkness to spiritual light. It's caused us to come back here with a willingness to share the gospel with people right here. Um, there are lots of different ways to do that. One of the things that uh, we've talked about lots of times is the uh, three circles. You know, it's three circles is just a simple way 
to share the gospel, to spread the gospel with for somebody you might know, somebody in the family, whatever. Um, it's just an easy way that people in Ohio tend to understand the three circles. Um, down when we go to Haiti uh, or Columbia, we uh, use the Evangicube. That's just another method of sharing the gospel. You might not know it, but Christmas from Christmas Eve this year uh, until last week, we've had people that have crossed the line of faith at Lighthouse every week. People that are moving from spiritual darkness to spiritual light. And when you think about that, people don't typically make a decision unless there's lots of events leading up to that decision. Often, um, somebody's invited them, and somebody's cared for them, and someone's talked to them, and eventually they find their way, and they hear the gospel, and somehow it all clicks, and they believe. You know, and that process involves the family of God. It involves all of us as we share uh, the truth of the gospel. You can actually go online, and in about 90 seconds, you can search for the three circles or the Evangel Cube and see a little tutorial on how to share the gospel. It's really simple to do. So I'd like to ask you to do something today. Okay, I'd like to, you to pull out your connection card, and there are two boxes there I'd like to kind of have you focus on. The first is a resource to help share the gospel. Um, it mentions the three circles and the Evangel Cube. You can look those up online. But it also has a list of verses. Those are the verses that I wrote down on my trip to Haiti, some of them anyway. And they're verses about uh, the gospel, about salvation and Jesus. My guess is this. If you prepare yourself to share the gospel by just memorizing some verses of truth, my guess is God will probably use you to make a spiritual impact on someone you know. That's generally how that works. As you become equipped, God uses that. The other thing I'd ask you to do is look at that. Uh, there's a blank line, a place to check a box, to put a name of a person that you would like us to pray with you about, a person who's lost, maybe a family member, maybe somebody from work, an extended family member, a neighbor. It could be anybody that you know who's far away from God and needs hope. And, you know, if you put the name there, the pastors and elders and the prayer team, they'll get that list and they'll pray with you for people in your life that you know are far away from God. As you think about those boxes, I think it's worth considering that God might want to use you to share the hope of Christ with somebody that you know. Think about that. Uh, you could help somebody cross the line to spiritual life by faith in Jesus. Isaiah's journey started with seeing God in clarity. He confessed his sins and he turned to God and his life was different from that moment. Same thing happened to lots of other characters in the Bible and people we know today. His confession of sin was met with forgiveness and peace with God. It's not really possible to be a witness to the truth, I don't think, unless you've slammed into the gospel yourself pretty hard. <laughs> you know, when you understand what God has done for you, that becomes the motivation to share your hope with other people. This is a good day to move past that whole thing of obligation and all the, the religious stuff that maybe you've heard in the past and just open your eyes to the freedom that we have in knowing God, knowing God as our Savior. I don't know what God might be calling you to do, 
you know, Isaiah was called to be a prophet of God. But I do promise you this, that those who seek God, find him. The scriptures teach us that. And believers who know God have something to say because they have the spirit of God in them. We're going to have prayer partners here this morning, as we always do. There'll be people in the front and people in the back. And uh, that's an opportunity for you to pray with someone this morning about anything in your life you wish to pray about. But first, I'd like to pray for us together. God, we're thankful that you have revealed yourself to us in the pages of the scripture, that we can know you and that we can experience and understand genuine forgiveness and genuine hope in Jesus. I pray for each person in this room who is curious and seeking, but they're on the outside of faith. I pray your Holy Spirit would enlighten their hearts and minds and and draw them to you for salvation. I also pray for each person that's here who's a Christian, that you would help us to see this world as you see this world. People lost and confused and walking without hope. And maybe you could use uh, many of us to build your kingdom as we, we share the hope that we have in Jesus. I pray all this through Jesus. Amen. If you'd like to learn more about Lighthouse Community, check out our website at mylighthousecommunity.com or connect with us on Facebook. You're invited to join us live Sunday mornings at 909 or 1111. Thanks again for listening to the Lighthouse Community Podcast.